All right, guys, welcome to the Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky with the Dave Dubow team. Today on the show, I've got Chris Bounds. And if you've ever thought, I'm going to flip property forever, the, the secret sauce is that that's a treadmill and eventually you're going to have to start generating wealth. I think Chris has figured it out. I've figured it out, but I'd love to hear more about it. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing? Um, It's not snowing yet here in Winnipeg, so that's... <laughs> You know, it's uh, October 19th, so we have probably 10 days left. We have we have snow in the schedule for Wednesday. You don't get yeah, a lot I'm sure of your snow weather was days. a lot better this summer than uh, down here in Texas. Uh, we had a pretty good summer. What was wrong with the weather in Texas this year? <laughs> Just about three months of no rain and 100 degree weather. Well, you know, come up here in January and we'll trade all of the sun for all of the <laughs> snow. We'll do an exchange. We'll ship yeah. the snow down there. You can ship the sun up here. How about that? Uh, for one week at a time. Yeah, no, you don't want it. It gets real cold. I kind of look at it as a, like a wasteland. It's just, it's not a great place to, uh, <laughs> you definitely learn how to skate and shovel and yeah, you better love the snow or find somewhere else to live. So <laughs> let's start right at the beginning. You know, you've done a lot of flipping projects. What inspired you to get started, get started in real estate? Yeah. I mean, I watched my grandfather as a kid, you know, he, like, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which that was my beginning. It's a lot of uh, folks beginning um, as far as the journey into real estate, but uh, way before that, like my grandfather was living that philosophy, like way before the book was ever even written. Like that's just who he was. He was a hard worker, started working, saved some money, started a business and then funneled his money from his business into real estate assets. So um, I had the privilege of I've seen that. Now, I didn't know what I was watching. When I read the book, it put it all into context. I'm like, oh, wow, like that's what he's doing. Um, and even, even my parents, they had a rental property. So I, I did get some firsthand experience like cleaning out the place in between tenants. Mm -hmm. Every time the tenant moves out, we got to get the, 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 the scrub brushes out and paint yeah, and patch yeah. and back on the market. leaves right? and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really where it started. I mean, I've always been entrepreneurial, um, even in, in like, you know, grade school selling, um, selling books to kids. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'd print things on the internet and go out and sell it. Some of the things I probably shouldn't have been selling in school. Um, other things, um, you know, wh whatever I could to make money. So I was always yeah. doing that, uh, lemonade stands and whatnot. So when I read Rich Ed Poor Dad, it put a lot of um, context into, my head of as far as how the money works and um you know basically how i i foresaw my path um going post college um ended up did I, I did end up getting a job um but prior to that i flipped four houses in college with, with no income no like i had no job i guess i had credit because they send you the credit cards when you're mm -hmm. in college anyway. oh yeah they love to give out the student uh the student financing now were you uh were you doing the work on those flips or did you, did you hire people to do it what was the strategy there yeah so the my, my skill at level at like general contracting uh, or, or handyman stuff is extremely low i can barely hang a picture on the wall and like my wife can attest to that behind any painting you have are, are hanging in my my house there's about eight different holes so and a bunch of pencil lines and you're like ah close yeah enough. it's like I, i'm the worst so um you know i've always been forced and maybe that's a good thing you know i've been forced to find folks that are much better at doing plumbing electrical you know um flooring painting um i mean i i guess i can paint but i'm again i'm, I'm not good at it and i definitely hate it so 
No, and especially as a college kid, we were investing. I was in I went to Texas A&M University. I was investing in San Antonio, Texas, uh, which is a good two hours, two and a half hours away. So I couldn't be there. I'm in class. I had to have contractors just checking on up on it on the weekend or on a Thursday or something like that. Yeah. Every weekend, driving up early on a Saturday. And that I'm sometimes actually because I didn't have any money. So I would drive back. Um, cause I didn't have the money for our hotel. So I would drive back on Saturday and then drive again on Sunday. And, um, I did that for months, but, uh, we did four, four deals our first year. Uh, me and my business partner at the time graduated, got a high paying sales job. And, uh, I discovered that, um, you know, a good life gets in the way of a great life. And I had a really good high paying sales job with yeah. pretty much no debt. Still had two rentals from you know the, the my old business partner, so nothing really changed other than uh, until I got married. That's when I started really kind of thinking in the future, private school for our kids, retirement, um, living a good life, and um, mm-hmm. you know, that's really where my real estate journey like started taking off. Um, was in 2011 when um, got married and talked to my wife about hey let's start investing in real estate. Yeah. Was that, uh, cause there's this saying, my mentor always used to say, Seth and who said the people in our program that do the best are married men with children. So was that before or after you had kids, were you being proactive? You're like, I want to have kids. So I'm going to have to afford that. I know yeah. in, the, in the States you do have to like pay for, um, the delivery of children and things like that. Like there's yeah. hospital bills right out the gate in Canada. They're just like, here you go. Here's your kid. So <laughs> it's a lot uh, less expensive to make that decision. But tell me about that journey where you, you started talking with the wife and like, we need yeah, yeah, yeah. more so, money. Again, I've always been entrepreneurial. I just kind of, unfortunately, there was a time period where I fell into a, I'm living a good life. So my pain was low. Um, I didn't necessarily have the pain. Uh, my motivation was still high, but that was being fulfilled with where I worked. And it was a very flexible job. It was online sales. Um, and I was making pretty close to six figures with no debt and I had roommates. So my cost of living was ridiculously low. Yeah. Uh, so very good situation was traveled and cause I worked in the travel industry industry. So I got free travel from that too. So when I got married and I'm talking weeks, like two weeks afterwards, I dropped a bomb on her lap and she knew I was entrepreneurial. She didn't quite know to the extent well, she's um, marrying a salesman. So, you know, that you've got to be a little bit of a character here and in here to be a salesperson, right? It's not easy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she put it together. Like now she can see the the clues, but at the time, like she comes from a very traditional background where you work for 40, 50, 60 years, and then you retire. Like, and she's a teacher. Like mm-hmm. that's just, that's what she, you know, anticipated. And ultimately for me, um, I, I never anticipated that for for myself like um that was just not in the card so two weeks after married i dropped the bomb on the lap i'm like hey babe uh start a householding business and she was pretty pretty scared mm-hmm. um but she what was does supportive. That mean for our finances what does that mean for our time just together we just got married you know it's un- un- uncertain you're gonna go spend money with zero guarantee that you're gonna get any of that back actually mm-hmm. money and time you're, yeah. you're gonna go spend that and then you're going to go buy a property like and you're going to make money. How you're going to go flip a house like you're going to go knock on people's doors that are behind on their mortgage and expect them to give you their house. 
mm-hmm. uh, at, a, at a price way below market value. Like what? It just didn't comprehend. But she was supportive. Uh, she was my getaway driver. That's what she called it. I would knock on doors for pre foreclosures and if they'd cuss me if out. It got or... a little, yeah. If it got a little, because that's the thing with knocking pre foreclosure. Uh, they'll tell you anything to get you off their property. And even in, even here in Canada, it's not, you know, it's not like in the States, like no one's going to show up with a gun at the door or come up with a weapon or have a huge dog. Like Canada is a lot safer. So you can feel like, all right, you know, trespassing laws and things like that nature, but you're in Texas. You were knocking pre foreclosure in Texas at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I never once felt like, personally threatened um i mean any of the na- those kind of neighborhoods i just didn't you know just yeah didn't those doors um which there were those i mean you drive through and you just kind of learn hey this is not the neighborhood i want to invest in anyway but yeah. outside of that i mean you have to have thick skin for that kind of thing um really for any kind of sales you need a layer of thick skin for cold calling or, or any type of direct cold approach it takes a certain amount of thick skin and I have that, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's you're in fun. sales, right? So you've yeah. already had that thick skin coming in calloused. You're like, I don't care what these people say. I'm doing my pitch. I'm going to get through my pitch. And if they don't want to hear it, then I can leave. Yeah, I mean, it, I, that's what I did in college. So mm-hmm. if, if someone was willing to sell a house to a 21 year old kid, and I don't know what I was wearing, but probably a polo shirt, probably Abercrombie mm-hmm. shirt, uh, you know, polo and, uh, and like shorts and, Tennis shoes. So it's not like I looked like I had money and I'm, I'm, uh, I got to touch on that a little bit, right? Because there's 20 year olds out there who are worried I can't do this. So how did you overcome the baby face? Cause this is, you know, like when I started real estate 2015, um, I, it's aged me a little bit. It's a hard business, but I keep this beard because people that you're dealing with are over 30. They're like pre foreclosure people have owned this house and now they're in hard times. So why on any, why should like a 50 year old or a 40 year old be listening to this 21 year old kid in the polo shirt saying like, I want to buy your house. Like, yeah, right. Can you even afford the bus ticket to get to my house? Like, <laughs> how did you overcome that, uh, that youth objection that a lot of people are worried about? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's my belief that that is 99.9% internal, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. 1%, maybe it could be real. Um, but in, in general, people who are motivated to sell their house they just want someone who can solve their problem and if you if you can Amen. confidently present that solution to them it's not an issue like i bought four houses as a 21 year old kid like i didn't have a job like did they have those reservations in their head maybe mm-hmm. but i didn't present can this that. kid even close like who is this guy I, I, i'll listen to him because i'm in yeah. need and that's really it i've always found that buying is service people are always thinking oh i got to give them the best price it's like no you need to solve their problems so how are you solving these people's problems for people who are thinking i'm going to go start door knocking just like chris did like how do you what's a tip for the people at home like how do i solve simple one how do i solve the, that pre-foreclosure problem is in how do you solve the problem or how do you solve the mental problem just like a tip well i think you touched on it and it that it is all in your head like yeah. And the service is really where um, people are going to accept or reject you. And so, what's a what's an easy way to 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 get started with getting that mentality and and maybe a tip on something to say to say I'm going to solve your problem because yeah. I'm a huge well, I mean, believer in that. You got to know what you're going to be doing with it. I mean, once you get a lead, you, you need 
one or preferably multiple exit strategies. So mm-hmm. my exit strategy was rental or flip. Um, yeah. I mean, it, initially we were looking for flips. We ended up renting them, um, which was a good decision at the time, but um, we were going to flip them. We we're going to buy them. We we're going to buy them subject to existing financing. So we didn't have to get a loan. We ended up, we ended up using hard money, but actually for the first four, uh, the first one used a JV partner. Second one used a uh, double close. Mm-hmm. Third one subject to fourth one private lender. Mm-hmm. Like those are my first four deals. Like I, I was very experienced uh, as far as uh, several different uh, strategies within my first four deals. Ended up using private money and hard money for most of my deals. You know thereafter, especially after my wife got married. Uh, you know my wife and I got married. But um, ultimately, my strategy was to go in, buy the house cheap, remodel it, and flip it. Um, now, your alternative strategy, like wholesaling, is is pretty big today, where you can wholesale it to someone who is yeah, short it out. Yeah. yeah. So with your, uh, it was interesting. You said traditionally you would use hard money or um, like some sort of financing. Was that a relationship? Like sometimes you know, as you because you've done you know, 200 plus I would, I, I was reading and typically you get a relationship with a lender or two lenders who start financing everything. But early on, it's usually like this guy and that guy and uh, this person and my uncle. And, uh, you know, so at what point did you transition from like small financing to larger players? That's like, Oh, I've got a million dollars. I'll do 10 of these for you. Yeah, yeah. After you do um, a few deals successfully, and you can lay that out, and then you mm-hmm. have the ability to um, present yourself professionally. I'm not talking suit and tie. It's just you don't look like a guy off the street. Like mm-hmm. there's a difference between looking like a hardworking blue collar guy. That's different than just looking pretty sloppy. Like mm-hmm. the the, the uh, uh, going off on a little tangent here. A an agent on my team just uh sold a house it's in a very blue collar neighborhood the neighbor bought it for 50 percent cash the neighbor is it very blue collar it's like one hundred twenty thousand dollars or so um was the purchase price it still needs work and he bought it for 50 percent cash in this market um still needs work what the guy does is he wholesales um equipment like a large uh, like tractor type of, of equipment Mm-hmm. He wholesales. I mean, a lot of people wholesale houses and wholesale cars. He wholesales like large equipment, like a combine that, or something. You know, yeah, exactly. Big truck um, or something. But and that's how I mean, it, it. it's a lot. It's very it's a lot of takes a lot of discipline for a homeowner to save money for a down payment on a just a regular house. Mm-hmm. So this one had the discipline to do that, um, you know, for a, an investment house and, you know, 50 percent. Um, uh you know, it's pretty good. So um, ultimately, if you can present yourself and you've got that uh, personality and you have a business plan, you can clearly articulate what you're doing and how it works. Investors will be interested. Ultimately, mm-hmm. they want track record. Before mm-hmm. anything else, they want to make sure they like and trust you. They want to make sure they're going to get their money back. And then, of course, they would like a return on that. So yeah, fast definitely. forward, first deal, JV. I partnered with a guy who taught me how to do what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So most investors, uh, and I, you, you, you've probably gotten this. I, I get this a lot. Hey, I'm looking for a mentor. Hey, could you mentor me? I'm like, 
easiest way to get me to mentor you is like bring me a good deal and I'll, and I'll walk, walk you through the whole it. thing and you'll make some money too and then they never bring you a deal and i guess they're just not that motivated once in a while they want to but typically the new people i found that, that come to me and say bryce can you mentor me and walk me through it i'm like sure find the deal and uh, the the deal is the is the challenge because they don't yep. know really how to find it so if yep. they find I'm one sure. yeah i'm all i'm all into helping that out i'll come to the I'll drive on Saturday and take a look at it with you for an hour and tell you what to do. And I'll get out of here. Yeah. So what are you doing now? So we've, we've done a bunch of flips and we were talking before um, the recording here about flipping as a treadmill and eventually, um, you know, your kids, you've had, you've had a few kids then at, at this point, one, two, three, seven Dude, i'm done ten. Ten. <laughs> no. a buddy of mine has got like five and you're in texas right you you could be a good old boy have like 10 kids so yeah, um, you know, i'm in the city i'm not i'm not on a farm yeah right <laughs> so was it was it like a time thing a freedom thing because flipping's very active at what point did you say i want to start switching it, to it wealth? is very active and, and i learned a lot um I'll, I'll circle back to, you know, finding the money because um, it, it really ties into this. So uh, ultimately, I did those four deals. But once we really got going, hard money lenders, hard mo most hard money lenders, other than you just going through bankruptcy, they don't really care as much about you. They just want a good mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. uh, so they care more about the deal. And they're a really good resource for vendors, contractors. They've got they do a lot of deals. So they're going to be a good like second set of eyes to make sure you don't get into a bad deal. Yeah, um, if the, if so they're I, not financing you, it's probably not a deal. Oh, correct. They want you to make money. So you come back and borrow from them again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I did that a few times. And then after that, it's been private money. We've raised 19 million over the years from private nice. money lenders. And partners. But um, yeah, so we, we started out buying rentals. Then my employer cut my pay by like 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the same time they did that, we sold a couple rentals. So I'm, I've, I have something I call the slow flip strategy. So we sold a couple rentals and each one of them grossed over $100,000 profit. Like when, when, boom, got cut 50% of my pay. I'm like, well, I made over two times just in these two deals within the last three months that I'm making over here. Like, I don't need this anymore. Mm -hmm. So quit my job. Now... I, I needed more income because rental income does not pay the bills unless you're talking like 50 plus. Uh, yeah. And even then these minutes. days uh, with the interest rates being what they are, I mean, cash flow and maybe they're going to have to put it in the dictionary formerly known as cash flow, because right <laughs> now it's, it's really not, uh, maybe we'll see it when interest rates adjust again, but yeah. cash flow. I mean, there, there, there's just ways to make that work, fund, just, you know, but, but like you said, it really is depending on how you finance the deal. But ultimately, I ha we had to flip money. I mean, we had to flip to make money. Like so, mm -hmm. my my strategy changed. We had we bought three single families, then we bought a small multifamily, and then did a couple. I think we had another inherited tenant, and then maybe a couple small flips. But now that I quit my job, like we had to flip for scale. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up doing that, and after several years of doing that, now the market's heating up, competition's getting more fierce, margins are going down, headaches are going up, and um, we realized, like, heck, we got into this business for, uh, you know, financial freedom and wealth and all this stuff, and I just built another, like, I mean, it's fun, but it's also stressful, 
and mm-hmm. it is a very time consuming job. Yeah. Especially on difficult. scale, like when you're doing seven, 10, 12, 15 at a time, like I can remember spending the entire day popping from one property to the next, get in the car. I wouldn't even, cause it's in Winnipeg. I wouldn't even shut the car off. I just lock it, hit the <laughs> command started, be running. Cause it's like minus 45, which that's Celsius. So it's like the complete opposite of oh, your hottest day. <laughs> there it would be an 80 degree swing. So I would just keep the car running all day and I'd just pop in quickly run around. Oh, they're not making any mistakes. Get back in the car, drive to the next one. Oh, they're not making any mistakes. Drive to the next one. So it's, yeah, you essentially, you got yourself a job. You know, people want all the flipping and the freedom and the cash. Yeah. Somebody has got to do the work though. Who's going to make sure that it actually makes money. So you're doing a bunch of properties, you're doing a bunch of uh, flips and you're realizing it's a job. And then yeah. And, and there's what's called the death zone in business. So early on, it's pretty much just you, maybe a couple partners, a couple employees. And then way up here is like full scale, full blown team. Like your direct involvement is not a lot. You're more of an executive level. But in between that is the death zone. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're starting to put money back in the business and hiring and infrastructure systems and all that stuff. Uh, but you're, it's not profitable anymore. Because no. of all the money out, you have to scale past that in order to get back in the green. And so we tried that on a couple of different occasions. We went to the death zone. And then once, like if you stall out, you have two choices, go out of business or, or scale back down. Yeah. And both times we scale back down. I, I know very, well, very, that you very... survived scaling back down because a lot of people um, just explode. They just yeah, I, I know like very few people who've, who've ever from a house flipping business made it past that wholesaling. I've actually seen a lot of folks, um, and, you know, move past that. That was never really one of our main strategies. We've wholesaled. Yeah, a it's a low, months. it's a low risk thing, and you can make some fast cash. But I was, you know, I've done a lot of wholesaling too, and I always thought, you know, I'm 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 t- taking five grand on this thing, but the guy who's going to do the real work, the guy who's putting his money on the line, his neck on the line, he's going to make fifty. So I was perfectly fine. He's going to make five on 50. He's going to make, or he's projected to make 50. Yeah, right. And there's the, a ton the, of there's risk. There's a very real risk. Like go, go they for can it, lose man, 10. Enjoy. Yeah. Or so how did you avoid uh, imploding? Because when you're flipping, there's a lot of money out and there's a lot of contracting out and you know, <laughs> you might, you might be over leveraged because you had to put this much and funding. So how yeah. did you, how did you scale back down without falling right off the cliff in that? Business? Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that was painful. So it's your, your money out and how quickly you're getting that back in. So in the flipping business, it's 90 to 120, maybe 180 days. Depends on like the severity and mm-hmm. the, the types of flips you're doing. So for us, it was really in the 90 to 120 days. So money out, we're not seeing any of that for Six at least days. 90 days, um, yeah. but possibly more which sucks. And especially when you're scaling. So that's, that's per property. So when you go from one to two to three, four, five, that compounds quickly. And we were self-funded from an operational standpoint. We still used private money lenders for acquisitions and repairs, but operationally we Mm -hmm. self-funded. And and we got to a level like we just, we can't sustain this anymore. Um, Especially when you have budget overruns on, you know, a couple projects, so we, we had to bring in some gap lenders and some other uh, other uh, financing partners and lines of credit and whatnot to to fill that. Um, but again, back in that death zone, like it, it gets scary. And uh, thankfully, 
for us, it was the right decision to scale back down. I just, I pretty much anyone in Houston that has ever scaled past the five something houses a month. um, This is me personally, this is just my observation is out of business or scaled back down. Mm -hmm. Now, nationally, I know a couple of folks that have, have moved past that. It's just, it's difficult. It's systems so, and it's the mindset. I find that people who who kind of crash and burn with the overflip model, um, it's a lot of delegation problems and lack of systems. But ultimately, for you as the, I guess you call it the commander in chief, you got to keep the people motivated and you can't really let them know that we're we're bursting at the seams because it's it can infect the whole business if they see you as the leader going, Oh, how are we going to make the payroll? And Oh, how are we going to get them? You know, like you, you can't, you, you have to control that energy. So how did you manage that fear and anxiety at that, in that death zone? Where yeah. You now, now, thankfully I'm actually in my DNA, I'm, I'm capable of taking on that stress. So mm-hmm. I have the ability, wife, totally different story. She's not, um, uh, she, she has plenty of other talents that I do not have. But I that it is one of my elementary talents, right? The oh no, hundred percent. Um, I just have the ability to take on challenges and find a solution and move forward, not let it suck my energy. There, there have been a couple like micro incidents where, like, yeah, I lost sleep. Um, but beyond that, it just at the end of the day, worry just wastes time. Let's find a solution and overcome this problem. It. So now. Now that you know you're kind of in this position here, what does the future look like over the next three years? What are you guys' plans, or you know how how are you planning to? Maybe you're talking a little bit about giving back. You have your yeah, you're a real estate agent as well. So how does this all come together? Where do you see it going? And and um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your plans. Yeah, so 2018 we started winding down the flipping business to hold more. Just realizing, hey, our rentals have actually always been the most profitable. And they're also the least stressed for us. So um, we started transitioning. And when COVID happened, we shut down flipping altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just been a buy and hold model, started a fund, we've invested in a few different multifamily deals. And um, we have a, we're on our second fund and we've done some loan, uh, you know, loan deals, gap funding, those kind of things. So that's primarily the strategy right now. It really, my world goes into two different sides. Um, I do have a real estate team, two or you know over 220 agents um, internationally. Actually, most of them are in the U.S., but internationally, a lot of them are interested or learning or very active investors, or they work with investors. So that's where invested agents come comes from. Mm-hmm. I teach folks how to uh, not only invest, but also if you're an agent, how to work with investors and build that into your ecosystem. Yeah, um, they can be and- great clients. You know, they're probably they're not just buying one house; they might buy ten this year. So. If you can understand business, yeah. them. Yeah. If you can 100%, understand Yeah. Them. I had a guy who's, you know, part-time, he was selling $50 million in real estate. Um, and within his first four years, built a team, they've sold like 400 something million over the years. But beyond that, he's invested in, uh, I think at this point, well over a thousand units from multifamily mobile home parks and RV parks and stuff like that. So um, that part of my world is education, coaching. Uh, we've got a community and uh do a ton of content uh, events for free you got it you got it and then um on the other side we work with investors giving them um uh, you know 
giving them opportunities to invest in real estate for a passive return. And uh, we work with high quality operators, uh, which includes myself and other other operators out there that are really good in their niches um, awesome. and, and marketplace. So if people want to uh, get a hold of you and get, you know, get on taking a look at some of your reels or your shorts and start really investigating uh, what it is that you do, where can they find you? What's the best way to find Chris Bounds? Yeah, the best place is go to investedx.com. Mm -hmm. So investedx.com. Um, and it has a link to both the main brands that I run under my flag. And then it has the link to the socials. I'm, I'm all over social media. So find me on whatever app you you like the best. And I'm, I'm probably mm -hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, you know, time flies while you're having fun. And I really appreciate the conversation. I think the people at home are going to get a lot out of it. And uh, until next time, guys, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.